I remember when my mom called me to tell me that Evan Westrup had been on local public radio. I was curious why, and it turned out that he was the communications director for Governor Jerry Brown. I thought that was so cool. I still think it's cool. And I decided earlier this week to reach out to Evan. We probably hadn't spoken in about a decade, but he returned my email almost immediately. We set up a time to talk. And over the next hour, we discuss how he went from a junior in college to the interview to have that position with uh, Governor Brown. And it's going to be a two-part series, but I just geeked out. And look, here's a guy who was (laughs) the communications director for the leader of the fifth largest economy in the world. And it comes through loud and clear just how articulate he is, how eloquent he is, how thoughtful he is, how well-spoken he is. It was such a pleasure to spend an hour with him. And when we hit the hour mark, uh, I know how busy he is. And I said, look, let's pump the brakes and do a part two because there is so much meat still on this bone. Uh, I really encourage anybody who's a politics dork or any young people out there that are looking for advice about how to make your way in the world, this, put the put a little stamp on this podcast. It's going to be uh, usable in a lot of different ways. Um, but I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did Recording it. So music, as always, by Matthias DeWild, and uh, hopefully part two to come tomorrow night. So until then, be well. CK. Evan Westrup. My friend, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, and yourself? Good, man. You're, uh, you're prompt. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, look, even in times of quarantine, it's good to be punctual. Indeed. Well, I, uh, I appreciate the flexibility as well. I know we're, we're creeping into, into later hours, though it, it sort of has a, a Las Vegas feeling these days where the hours don't seem to, uh, to matter much. Uh, no, but... Nor do they seem to correspond to any of the usual <laughs> patterns of daily life pre or hopefully post-COVID. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, my partner and I have been doing this dance where she's she's on a call, then I'm on a call, then she's on multiple calls, and then I, I sort of, toward the end of the day, end up on another call. So there's uh, there's some choreography to it as well. Um, and if you hear if you hear some thumping in the background, uh, that is uh, that's her on on her walking desk, uh, which uh, has become the best purchase I think she's ever made. Uh, she's putting in like 20,000 steps a day, but anyway, Good you can hear her. it. I know. Right. I, I can't cool. even, I, I can't even book time on it. Uh, she's, uh, <laughs> she, she's, she's so active, uh, on, on this, on this, uh, this treadmill desk. Um, uh, but anyway, it, being in, steps. Con- how many miles oh, is no. that? Oh, dude, I don't even know. I don't want to know. It'll just make me feel worse about the, uh, the lack of steps. So, 
I'll, I'll, I'll do some pacing back and forth while I talk to you to try and, uh, try and make up for it. But being in, in confined space, as, uh, as I know you're familiar with, uh, you can, you can hear each other, uh, <laughs> most, most hours of the day. So definitely, uh, definitely some adjustment. I haven't cleared out a closet like you have. I, I've, I've got to, got to follow your lead. It's working so well. You know, I'm, I am in a closet right now. Amanda is, um, on a zoom call, um, you know, probably about nine yards away, uh, as wow. a crow would fly through a 555 square foot studio apartment. Um, and it totally works. Like, like that's some solid wood. It, it, it's a fairly well-made building. And, you know, I've, so you might be catching in the background, our neighbors, um, mm. have a year and a half year old who they let into the hallway around this time every day. And she and the other neighbor girl is a year and a half and are running up and down screaming at the top of their lungs right now. You know what? Bless her little hearts. Scream, scream away. Exactly. Gracie. Scream away. Exactly. Yeah. This is, this is a reminder. Um, and unless something's changed since we've, we've last connected, but this is a reminder to, to those of us without children, uh, how, uh, different life could be oh my God. <laughs> in, in our confined spaces. It, it gives it me a looks... great empathy for, for my new, uh, my, my friends who are new parents. It is it, it, like, especially having a mobile young child, uh, just seems like they're not understanding what's going on. <laughs> they have rhythms and patterns that, you know, they've built totally. up, um, and, um, it's, it would be a challenge. I don't know how I would have, uh, how, how I would overcome it. Um, but you know, like just small blessings, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think everyone's, uh, everyone's uh, definitely having to adapt, um, uh, and also improvise. So just sort of, sort of rolling with it. And the reason why I wanted to connect, uh, and you're, you know, it was actually during a meditation session of all things that your oh, nice. name just floated to the top of my consciousness. Uh, you and I became friends in high school and would see each yep. other, um, during like Thanksgiving break, uh, or summer, yep. mostly Thanksgiving break, uh, for soccer during college. And then I don't know if we have crossed paths since like the mid aughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had, we had some, like some, whenever I was out in New York, I know we would always find a way for, you and Elena and Russell and myself to come together in some fashion. And granted those, those were our younger, uh, wilder days. So they those memories were. are a little, a little, little, uh, hazier, uh, than, than, uh, than today's. But, uh, but yeah, we, we always found a way, which was pretty cool given the size of New York and, uh, and, and the, the challenges of public transportation and schedules. But yeah, I, it, it has been a while though. And, you know, it's interesting because um, I would say, God, maybe five years ago, I'm on a call with my mom and she said, oh, I heard Evan Westrup on the radio earlier today. And I don't, I, you know, I don't, no spoiler alerts here. And the reason that you were on that radio, um, you know, lo local public radio, um, I'm kind of hoping that, that you can take us uh, on a nice little journey, um, from, 
from your days, you know, at university to how, how you got there and then what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, so I, where do you want me to start? Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm genuinely curious, uh, to know, like you, you graduate in 2004, uh, you know, yep. with, with the rest of us and, uh, <laughs> can you take us from there? Yeah. I mean, I, my, I think my journey, like, like most of us, uh, we have an idea of what adulthood looks like. Um, and I think we imagine it to be a bit more linear than it, it ultimately is. Um, and my path certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't a straight one. I think I didn't, didn't truly realize I wanted to, to get into, into politics and public affairs and press work and to, to what you alluded to me being on the radio was um, in my, my capacity as uh, press secretary and communications director for our previous governor of California for Jerry Brown, who's so cool. uh, a legend, legend in his own right. Certainly um, so. But, but I, I certainly didn't envision that as my uh, job or position, even in college. Um, I think I really started getting into politics um, when I was in, in England, I studied abroad my junior year, and this was in the run-up to the Iraq War. Uh, there was a lot of attention on what America was doing, and also at the time what what Britain was doing uh, alongside America. And there was uh, a level of critique, and I think critical thought that was lacking in American media that was very present in in British media in the run-up to the Iraq War, and also in Britain joining that it sort of forced me to be uh, a much more active uh, participant uh, to have an informed opinion. I, I became the sort of spokesman. And this was, you know, de facto spokesperson for America uh, in, in, in my classes. Um, so I was, you know, I, I, I was always interested in politics and, it, it, and my studies definitely involved um, uh, politics and communications and some of those things. But this forced me to, to really play a more, active role. And, um, you know, there weren't many Americans at the university I was at. I was up in Northern England, uh, in, in a city called Leeds, uh, which is wedged between Manchester and Liverpool, which are better known. Uh, but you, you probably know of Leeds given your affinity for, uh, for soccer. Uh, they've got a good, good footballing history. Yes, they do. But, uh, but anyway, it really, it really forced me to, to really engage. And so, uh, coming out of that experience, I came back to San Diego, where I was going to school, UC San Diego, which I would call a, a relatively apolitical place. Most people that that follow the news are doing it for uh, traffic, weather, and the surf report. <laughs> and then maybe, maybe if we're thinking about a more substantive issue, maybe immigration. Uh, but by and large, it's it's uh, uh, not uh, the most politically active place. So anyway, um, I came back really focused on getting into politics. Uh, at that point, I took a political communications class with a professor who was a spokesperson for John Kerry um, and taught a really engaging, interesting class. You know, the sort of class that, that you look forward to going to, which I don't think is always common in college. Maybe you had a No, a it's definitely an like edge that. case. That's pretty rare to, yeah. to, to, to yeah. be you know, looking forward to that next Wednesday, 3.30 p.m. seminar. Totally. Yeah. And this was one where I went to office, you know, went to office hours on my own, which 
uh, is is not exactly common. At least it certainly wasn't part of my experience. So anyway, uh, he he helped me figure out that I could turn that interest into a career. And at that point, you know, you you said you know we'll start with launching after college, and and after college is really when I dove in. I I wasn't one of those people who had you know, 12 internships in college that were all political. Um, I, you know, I, I had jobs and other, uh, other things um, that I did during college to help pay the bills, but I didn't jump in until, until that summer after college. And that's when I went out to DC um, and uh, I, through the UCDC program was able to get housing. I say was able to get housing because I didn't actually secure an internship by the time I went out to D.C., because this was summer, as you know, and D.C. is the most popular time for yes, internships, very competitive. So I was coming out with no experience. So I needed someone to take a chance on me. No one had taken a chance on me from a distance. Uh, so my parents thought I was a bit crazy. But I said, you know what, I'm going to go to D.C. And people are going to people are going to see that I'm uh, that I'm passionate about uh, about this this world and this, this subject matter, and I'm going to make things happen. And so much uh, of success and, in life is just showing. Yeah, up. exactly. Exactly. So that's what I did. Um, so I spent my, my first week literally, uh, following my roommates to their placements and connecting through the UCDC center with, you know, leads here and there. And I ended up getting an internship with the American foreign service association. Interesting. And I am convinced the only reason I got that internship is because the person that offered me the internship was taking a uh, three-week vacation and needed somebody to do their job. That <laughs> is a stroke of bizarre luck. Yeah, exactly. And so this is the association that, that represents foreign service workers, people, uh, diplomats, uh, and those working at consulates and embassies all over the, the world. And they have a publication called the Foreign Service Journal. So anyway, I was lucky enough to, to land in, in their like advertising section, which again, was not my dream internship, uh, but it was a start. It's a foot in the um, door, and, which is so key. Yeah. yeah. And the key also, CK, and you'll appreciate this because I'm sure you've you've made lemonade out of lemons before, <laughs> but with my, with my boss leaving, uh, my new, my new, uh, you know, what was supposed to be mentor leaving, uh, multi, you know, just a matter of days after I arrived, I was able to, to leverage his guilt into him allowing me to then do another internship. Uh, at the same time I was interning for the American foreign, foreren service association. I, so I got the lead down. on another office. So I doubled down. So, I work which longer is, hours, which is rare. I mean, you don't often hear about people holding two internships simultaneously. Yeah, generally not. Um, but I figured when else am I going to be back in DC? And again, when you find your, your passion or what you think is your passion, you, you are willing to double down, uh, and, and pursue it. So anyway, I, I leveraged that into a, an internship at the uh, department of interior at their office of policy analysis, which again, is not the most glamorous of places, uh, but but learned a lot there and actually made some connections that that I kept uh, right on through to today. So that was really the start uh, of of a Good journey. You. Uh, and I, I'll I'll pa pause there. I mean, th that I, no pause necessary. I'm, I, I, it's it's so silly for me to even phrase it this way, but like I feel like I'm in the middle of a page turner. 
Like I, I, I don't know any of this. Uh, I, I read the, the blurb on the back of the book, um, but I have no idea how the story unfolds. And so, what's your what's your fall uh, after this summer look like? And what's your what's your first real job? Um, yeah, c- coming out of this. Yeah, it's a good question. So I I had uh, about a month in between when when I got back from DC and when I started graduate school. So I had also decided that uh, to to bolster my resume, to gain new experience, to learn more. Um, I was going to do graduate studies in politics and, um, looking out at what was out there. I didn't want to take the GRE. I wanted to get my degree in a year. Um, and I wanted to be in a a political capital. And so I chose, uh, and well, I didn't choose, I applied and was selected to go, um, study at the university of Edinburgh in Scotland. So and I did a, a master's in international and European politics and was able to get that done in a year. But in that in that month between going to going off to grad school, I had uh, a bunch of good friends from England, uh, some of the best friendships I'd made in life, really. But th- this was from the year prior that all came out that summer. And I gave them a tour of tour of California. And we literally crashed on couches uh, across California and, uh, and, uh, and had a really good time. Uh, you know, a lot of our mutual friends, saw a lot of our mutual friends and, uh, anyway, had a great time and then hopped on a plane and, and went to, went to Scotland for a year. And, you know, when I was in Scotland, uh, I, I sort of made my experience. There was, there was no, no direct pipeline in terms of, of, of jobs and political experience. I, I realized quickly when I got yeah, there. Yeah, um, I, I mean, you just describing that, nothing um, came up immediately in my thought process of, oh, I bet this is what happened next. Like, I can see yeah. that. I, I, I was very curious to know, um, like... Did you think the pro like so many so many grad programs that I have come across um, over the years uh, are are nice, but it's it really depends on more the people you meet there than the programs themselves, um, or maybe yeah. a professor. And I'm just I'm so so you you realize that it's not gonna uh, funnel you back into that um, policy strategy job for a senator um, like you you may have hoped. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I realized that quickly, or at least it wasn't going to be handed to me. What was fascinating is that, that the year prior, uh, the new Scottish Parliament building had just uh, opened in uh, in Edinburgh. And this was, uh, I mean, we could talk architecture, I'll spare you that, but really <laughs> interesting building uh, that blends sort of old and new. It had a Catalan architect that died midway through the project. His wife uh, had completed it, but it was way over budget, very controversial, um, Scotland, of course, is, is a devolved government, so it, it controls, similar to our sort of state federal system, it controls certain matters, um, but, but the um, parliament in London, you know, for, for Britain, controls many others, including defense and uh, foreign policy, etc. So anyway, I, I decided that I was going to, going to get a job in the Scottish parliament, and I was actually discouraged uh, within my program from doing that because they said, we need, we really want you to focus on your studies. And I said, well, my, <laughs> well, my, well, good uh, studies. How is this? Yeah. Yeah. 
so how how would this be strained from my studies? In fact, it it complements my studies and uh, and gives me some practical application. So I found a professor. I just looked up a professor. Uh, I wasn't someone I, who I had a class from, but uh, I used him to get a contact in the parliament. And it, it's a it's I mean imagine sort of your the equivalent of contacting your city council member, you might actually hear back. So yeah. I reached out to a member of Scottish Parliament, heard back. Uh, they agreed to meet with me, and I begged uh, them to let me work for them for free. Well, I soon found that the idea of an internship, and again, this was early on, um, it's probably changed since, but the idea of working for free and interning in Scotland uh, was not the same as it is uh, in in America or in DC or even Sacramento. And so anyway, uh, this, this member of parliament wasn't super comfortable with it, but gave me a reference to another member that they thought would be. And, uh, and so anyway, I, I showed up and, and, uh, woman, uh, by the name of Elaine Murray, who was, uh, member of Scottish Parliament from Dumfries and Galloway, which is along the border. <laughs> is, I, I love details. I, I think great stories um, are are shaped uh, or hung upon details. And you're just making me so happy right now with your storytelling. Um, well, I'm I'm you know trying if 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 we can please no one else, we can uh, we can at least please one another here, CK. So this is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so. So yeah, so she offered me a job. She thought it would be kind of amusing to um, to have the perception of her having an American political consultant, which I certainly uh, was not. Uh, but anyway, she she was on what was called the Equal Opportunities Commission, which had just been formed, um, but uh, uh, and and allowed me to sit in on committee meetings. And anyway, I made my experience. Uh, and was actually able to write my dissertation based on my internship and work. Uh, you, you must have with had her. a dissertation that so far outstripped the um, regurgitation of your classmates who were just in a library um, rewriting in different language the words of other people. Like, yeah, it was different. It was definitely different. I mean, but it's based on uh, real world experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, it, it became clear to me that this equal opportunity commission was, was sort of window dressing, uh, so that, that those in power in the parliament could say they were doing something about, uh, issues of equal opportunity and representation. Um, and so my, my dissertation was actually pretty biting, pretty, pretty harsh. Um, it was on ethnic minority representation in the Scottish parliament. Um, of course, coming from a position being a white male position of privilege, uh, I know it's it's um, it's something I need to acknowledge in writing it. But I think coming from that position um, also helped me see the the power and privilege that was taken for granted. Uh, so anyway, that that's that's what I ran with. Um, cool. And then let's see. I mean, I didn't. I didn't have a clear, clear plan on what was next until toward the end of the year. Um, and at that point I was offered an internship with the state department to actually continue to stay in Scotland and work for the consulate in Edinburgh. And unfortunately the security clearance process, they must know something. I don't, uh, that or the, the George W. Bush administration mm. did not put great resources into their, uh, their background investigators, 
but the process took so long uh, that I actually wasn't able to do the internship. But in the meantime, as a hedge, I had applied for a program called the Capital Fellows Program back in Sacramento, which, of course, for uh, for the few listeners who don't know already, that's our hometown. Yes, it is. Uh, so I did it somewhat reluctantly, CK, uh, having been abroad and, and had, had really a, an interest in, in traveling and being elsewhere. Uh, I had applied for this program and, uh, and got accepted. So, uh, so that's bittersweet coming home. Uh, we yeah, are young yeah. and just in another country, which is just so ridiculously exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. It was definitely, uh, uh, <laughs> change going from college and grad school to then moving back in, uh, at my parents' place at home, uh, with mom, you know, <laughs> asking to borrow mom's car. Cause of course they didn't have a, have a vehicle. <laughs> And, uh, and, and then, you know, having to be aware of, uh, of when I was coming and going and anyway, it was, it was definitely a shift, but, uh, I started a placement, uh, this was in the Schwarzenegger administration. The program is, and this is a shameless plug for anyone who's interested in jumpstarting a career in public affairs and, and, uh, and, and politics. Uh, there are three different programs within the Capitol fellows program on the executive branch, the judicial branch. And then the legislative branch, within the legislative branch, there's a Senate and an assembly program. So I was in the executive branch. I got placed at uh, what I would call the uh, annex to the governor's office. Uh, this was the, the sort of place where, uh, where horrible research projects are sent at the end of the day uh, that need to be completed by the following morning uh, by senior advisors. Uh, it was a place where, like, all of the work that no one else wanted to do was completed and, and done with, with great gusto and energy uh, and accuracy and attention to detail. And so it was a hell of a place to, to, uh, to get, get sort of on-the-ground experience in, uh, in California politics. What kind of hours were you uh, working? Oh, I mean, this... Probably, I think everyone's had those those early jobs where where the the hours and days blend together. But I mean, we had we had days where uh, where we were at the office all night. Um, so where the day one day just bled to another, you'd go home and change or shower quickly. Uh, if it tells you anything, our, our our boss, and this is a guy who I learned a lot from. His name was Sean Walsh. Uh, was sort of a, an old school. I'm a Democrat, but he was an old school Republican operative. Worked for worked in the Reagan White House. Um, I think originally worked for George W. Bush as well. Uh, big lumbering Irishman, but he he would sleep on his couch uh, in his office, and he had he had a whole setup where he could crash uh, crash in the office. He was the kind of guy who who if his team was there late, he was there late. Um, so anyway, the hours, the hour, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just really led by example, but, uh, but yeah, the hours were long. Um, but, but I, you get to know everyone you worked with, uh, again, lots of young, hungry, uh, curious people. So learned a ton in those years that, that really, it was a year. It felt like years, plural, but it was just a year. And, and um, yeah, what happens after yeah. that? I, I, I get, I get Paige Turner. I got, what's happening yeah. next? So I, uh, at this point I, I was, 
not done being an overworked, underpaid uh, fellow. Uh, and I, I saw this as a continuation of my education, really. So I, I had mid-year applied for another program. Again, shameless plug for anyone uh, who wants to pursue a career in this field, in this world. Um, applied for what's called the Coro Fellowship in Public Affairs. So this is a program, if it gives you any sense of how, how long it's been around, this was a program that Diane Feinstein did when she was, when she was fresh out of college. Uh, so it's, it's been around for, for decades uh, and has a, a pretty interesting uh, roster of, uh, of alum. So anyway, I ended up getting selected for that program. They have centers all over the country, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, New York, Los Angeles and San Francisco. I ended up going to LA. Uh, I lived in LA on a thousand dollars a month, Jesus <laughs> which, which was an experience of course, uh, really uh, learned to be resourceful. Um, but this program, I, I, I try to try to think of how to, how to describe it. Imagine packing in like five years worth of work experience in 10 months. And essentially that's what, what this program is. Uh, and were you feeling twice. burned out at all? Because like you're going, no, I was, I was energized. I mean, this is, this is when you figured out what you want to do and, and you're, you're on a path, even if you don't quite know where it's ending, uh, you're, you're energized. You're sort of like, like you can see the mountain ahead. You're not quite sure how far away it is, but, but you're on the trail and you're going to keep going. Hey, what was uh, the so mountain that's how, how, for you? Yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, sometimes it's <laughs> sometimes it's more it's more about just just getting there, and and uh, and then maybe you you get a better view of the landscape <laughs> and where you want to go next once you get to the mountain. Um, but at this point, yeah, this this was more. So the program places you in a different sector every month. So uh, the the point is to expose you to to how decisions are made. Um, you have a mentor in each organization. Uh, you're then doing interviews with, so you have 10, 10 fellow fellows or 12 fellow fellows, depending on the class. And you're interviewing people in that sector uh, at the end of each week. And so the idea is you're learning how these decisions are made. You're making connections between the sectors. Um, and you don't, you don't get a lot of background or info on where you're working. You're actually told the day, the day of of your placement, you're told where to go and you show up. And the idea is that you're going to learn a lot more and you're going to ask more questions and more intelligent questions. If, uh, if you're forced to, uh, to, to sort of set aside any, any preconceived notions or, or anything that you may have developed in trying to do research, it forces you to be present it's in a way that camp. I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So public affairs boot camp. that's a great, great way to put it. Uh, you think as a communications professional, I could have come up with uh, with something succinct and snappy like that, CK. This is why you're good at your job. I I have to admit, just the cadences of your voice and the well, way you're telling this story, uh, I've been taking copious mental notes, um, and it's obvious <laughs> that I am on a call with a professional. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I'll take one small victory for boot camp. <laughs> Well, good. So, so the other piece of this program is that if, if you're a Democrat, uh, so you're placed in, so for, and again, just digressing here, you're placed in a business, uh, community organization, a nonprofit, 
uh, political campaign, government organization. But if you're a Democrat, they're going to place you with the most conservative Republican. Uh, if you've got experience, if you if if all you've done is nonprofit work, they're going to give you the most buttoned down, you know, strict formal business placement. Uh, so the the point is also to really push you beyond your comfort zone, to to force you to get uncomfortable, and then so it's a really uh, well run, yeah. thought out program. It's not just absolutely. Hey, we have to keep these people busy and keep the uh, keep the trains running. I mean, they're they're really yeah. intent upon the people coming out of this um, being so well suited to whatever is coming next. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, you're learning from the the people around you. I mean, I the, what what my class my classmates have gone on to do some really incredible things in tech and uh, in in uh, elected uh, office, um, in community leadership, in foundation leadership. Anyway, it's it's been cool to see. But the program really does does sort of. Uh, mold you into uh, into somebody that that's ready for anything uh, that that isn't daunted by uh, by sort of the new and the unknown and the uncertain. Uh, and anyway, that's uh, that's my infomercial for for the Coro Fellowship. But what what that did, CK, uh, was was as I'm on this trail going to the mountain, I suddenly realized that I don't I don't have to take that trail. And that there are all these other little offshoots uh, that that have you know unique, interesting journeys uh, to take as well. So I, I'm suddenly realizing this whole world out there. And now I was on this political quest, and I'm suddenly thinking maybe I should get more business experience, or maybe I should uh, look into the philanthropic world. So at this point, I uh, I take a jump. I move from LA. Uh, and I moved to San Francisco and decide that I'm going to become a management consultant, which uh, no I, I, way. I can't tell you why that uh, that was uh, at the top of my mind. I think I was attracted to the variety of the work. Uh, the paycheck the, couldn't and, have been uh, well, too The paycheck, of course. Yeah, the, the intensity of the work, uh, the... Um, and and sort of the, the opportunity to learn, but I quickly realized in doing the interviews uh, and and going through that process uh, that that wasn't necessarily where I was going to go. But it didn't didn't come to me until I was offered a job back in Sacramento, uh, at, which I said no to twice. And this was to go back into the Schwarzenegger administration. So one of the one of the people who had sent me the, one of those horrible projects that I explained when I yeah. was doing this executive fellowship apparently had noticed that I, that I did a decent job at, at doing all the things she didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so she offered me an appointed position uh, to work in the Schwarzenegger administration um, as one of their, my, my official title was associate communications director, but I was really uh, a small cog in a, in a massive machine. I think, you know, at, at, at its peak, that office had, had, you know, 20 plus communications professionals uh, working That's across it. Again, I was at the yeah, big shop, big shop. So sort of uh, not not quite White House size, but but comparable in terms of, of the scope and, and breadth of the work. So which makes sense because California is what the fifth or sixth largest yeah. economy in the world yeah. by itself. Yeah. 
Yep. And, and so that turned out to be, uh, a really, I, I learned a ton again, the hours, uh, all I did really for that, that entire year was, was work. There was zero balance in my life. I, it was all you've been so doing bad for the last, uh, three chapters of this story has been nonstop work. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and that this is, this is how you, how you get where you think you want to go. Um, and, uh, and you mentioned meditation. I don't, I don't think I, I, I discovered that, uh, the necessity of, of stillness and breath until much later, unfortunately. Makes a difference. Um, but it, yeah, definitely. I think it took me, uh, probably burning out a bit to, to realize that. Um, but, how, but how long make, into your tenure was your, was your burnout? Uh, what, uh, how long was my tenure within, uh, within the Schwarzenegger administration Well, I, I guess or with Brown? We, we may have, I may have jumped too far ahead, but you know, I, I had mentioned burning out earlier and you laughed and said, Hey, look, yeah. when you're passionate, um, and when you're trudging toward that mountain, uh, your steps are light. And so it doesn't yeah. feel like a long slog and your language definitely changed when you talked about taking on this role in the <laughs> right. comms team at Schwarzenegger. So can you yeah. take us a little bit through just how uncomfortable that was vis-a-vis -vis everything else that you had done up to that point? Yeah. Um, I think for me, what, what the lesson I learned, uh, and I'll get back to your initial question on, on my tenure for Brown, um, cause it's something that, that, that I, uh, I'm proud of uh, having it's it's one of the few vanity projects I had was to look back at ten years of, of press secretaries and communication directors. Um, but under Schwarzenegger, uh, I think I realized that hard work wasn't enough. Um, so I think we all have points in our career where where we realize that there are internal politics uh, and issues and personalities and fiefdoms uh, that have to be navigated as well. And I think I had believed that my work would be enough. Um, and so I learned a really valuable lesson. I lasted about a year and I, I put everything uh, into that job and, and realized when the person who had hired me had moved into another role, um, I wasn't protected and, uh, and quickly uh, saw the writing on the wall and realized that it was time, time to move on. But you know, what it also taught me was the sort of sort of office I wanted to create and the sort of culture I wanted to create within the office uh, uh, when I ultimately would lead it. Uh, and it wasn't like I saw at that point I was going to be back in the governor's office and leading it. But it, it does make you pause and think about the sort of people you want to surround yourself with and, and the environment you want to create and what's most conducive to, to the sort of creativity and vitality um, and intelligence that leads to really good work. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I think that, that the, the challenge of that experience was as valuable as, uh, as, as any, even though it was a bit painful. And um, in terms, I'm, you, guessing, I'm guessing in basically the same building or at least an adjacent building, you had now had the experience of having, you know, a manager, an old Irishman who you don't see eye to eye with politically, you know, yeah. who is sleeping on the couch um, and has a whole setup in his office in order to um, provide leadership to the people working underneath him. 
And you're like, right. I mean, right. that's great leadership right there. And right. I mean, very impressive and leaves an impression. Um, but it sounds like, you know, in your second tenure in that building in that city, um, if I'm using building more metaphorically or figuratively than literally, yeah. Um, yeah. then you got to see what happens when um, no matter how many all-nighters you pull, it doesn't matter because from the top down, there just are people that have different uh, priorities and, and their priorities might not end up getting the work done, but uh, protecting their turf um, or, yeah. or some yeah. other agenda. And having those two side by side uh, really gives you perspective um, when you are then in a managerial managerial role uh, just a few years later. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think you, you nailed it. Um, you know, what was, what was difficult that what compounded the difficulty of that experience was leaving, not knowing what I was doing next uh, for the first time in, in years, really not having that next thing or, or not, not feeling as uh, as fiery and knowing uh, knowing what path I would I would choose. What and, was your and departure also to, like? Like, was it acrimonious? Was it no, kind of thing not away? no. It, it it was they had brought in you know someone else had been brought in and and there was a lot of redundancy. Um, there was I didn't feel valued, uh, and then uh, and then I was basically told that I didn't have a position anymore. Uh, so. Yeah. So it was, it was tough. And, and the person who was brought in, you know, I, I didn't see eye to eye with, it became a much more uh, partisan operation. Um, whereas we had had a good mix of Democrats and Republicans, which is rare um, in, in a governor's office. But Schwarzenegger uh, it, gave it, off the vibe as somebody that had sort of a, a centrist mixed view. I mean, that was at least from the outside yeah. perspective. Um, yeah. He, he and this, like a this changed me. Yeah. And this change, I mean, it didn't necessarily change for him, but it changed within our unit, I think at that point. Um, and what, what made matters worse is I left, you know, right when the bottom fell out of the economy. So oh, this, was the, <laughs> this, this hadn't become totally clear, but within a month or two, it became clear. Uh, and, uh, so this is, and like I'll tell fall you, 2008. yeah, this was, yeah, this was so summer of summer of 08. Yikes. Um, yeah, when I left, and then uh, by by September fifteenth. Uh, yeah, by that. So within a month, the the bottom had fallen out, but it gave me some clarity uh, at that point, uh, and again helped with my career in that uh, I then uh, connected with a friend who was uh, running the youth vote operation for Obama out in New Mexico, and I said, "Hey, uh, I <laughs> I recently quit my job. Can I come out and work with you?" Uh, and Interesting. To, to, to my surprise, uh, he immediately responded, yeah, let's do it. Can you be here, uh, in two days, you know, the, by Saturday. And so I, I packed my car up, uh, and drove straight from Sacramento to Albuquerque. And was Bill Richardson the governor at that time? I believe, yeah, I believe so. It, I, believe but I guess so. you probably weren't dealing with the state capitol though. No. You, you just were doing GOTV stuff. Exactly. Um, so I, I then became responsible for, and this was a very different skill set, but became uh, responsible for all of the student organizing on the uh, biggest campus, UNM uh, in Albuquerque. 
Uh, and so we went from five volunteers to 500 uh, within a few weeks. Uh, and this just came from me setting up a card table, old school, and uh, and just talking to people and starting conversations and uh, and then and then that leading to to very clear asks and we ran a youth vote operation or we we ran a youth vote operation across the state really focused on Albuquerque given the population center but we also had an early vote site on campus so anyway hell of an experience and, the, um, and then you know first week November you guys win yeah yeah which had a feel so, amazing. Yeah. So again, you go from a low to a high, uh, you know, the low of, uh, of leaving my previous job to the high of being on a, a winning presidential campaign in a state that mattered. Yeah. Uh, not that California doesn't matter. Of course it matters, but it's competitive. It matters in that it's competitive. Um, and then I came back, uh, and moved in with my buddy in San Francisco and didn't quite know what was next. So why didn't you um, go to DC after that and try to get in the Obama administration? You know, I felt, I felt like I, uh, I had come in a, l- a little later okay. um, than some of the folks uh, who were on, uh, on the campaign. Um, I, uh, I wasn't, I spent most of my time doing my job, not, uh, <laughs> not making the connections I need to probably to, to vault myself into one of those roles. You were running politics, um, not playing politics. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but you know, it was serendipitous in that, uh, I came back to, came back to California. I, I did some, some PR consulting just to, to help pay the bills through, through a friend, uh, uh, former Coro fellow who, who connected me with the opportunity to help me pay the bills. Uh, I taught, uh, at this, at this amazing, uh, summer school, uh, that Northwestern runs it's, it's through this, what's called the civic education project, which takes high schoolers and gives them sort of, uh, basic, not basic. It's pretty advanced curriculum on, uh, on sort of civics, but then also, uh, connects it with real world experience. So if you're learning about voting, we went to the tenderloin and then had them register voters in single occupancy hotel hotel rooms in the tenderloin. How the heck? So, I mean, these these that? are pretty pretty cool experiences. Yeah, for, I mean that for is high getting your hands dirty if you're haunting SRO hallways. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then, you know, early 09, um, I was, I was applying for jobs. I was looking for jobs all over and, a, f- a f- fellow Coro fellows wife, uh, sent me a job description for a deputy press secretary in then attorney general Brown's, uh, office at the department of justice. And I applied and three months later, after probably five or six interviews, I got the job. And that was the start of what's been more than a decade uh, working with Jerry Brown. Wow. And what was your, how much did you know about Jerry Brown in his first iteration of governor um, going into um, that application process or that job? Yeah, not nearly enough is is what I'd say. But that's that's how I feel uh, ahead of most interviews. I, I'm somebody who likes to be overprepared. Uh, I'm sure you can relate to this yeah. standing up in front of an audience. Uh, Makes a difference. Similarly, 
similarly with with my my most recent role with the governor if if i'm going to be speaking on his behalf and it's going to be printed in newspaper aired uh somewhere where people are listening i want to know what i'm talking about so so yeah it takes me to to those interviews where I, I definitely didn't know uh, as much as uh, as I should have or would have wanted to know, but I knew enough. I think I knew enough to to make an impression uh, with his wife, at least. My interview with Jerry Brown did not go well. <laughs> hey, can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I would describe it as the worst uh, interview I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, um, what, have you have you ever had a moment? Uh, you probably haven't had a moment like this, CK. But have you, have you ever had a moment where? where like the gravity of a situation uh, and, and the pressure and uh, your brain uh, takes over to the extent where you, you literally can't speak and uh, you go blank. Have you, have you ever had this, this happen to you? I have not yet gone blank, but the very first auction I ever did when I had no idea what I was doing um, I had to auction off a puppy and they brought the puppy up and put it in my arms and I don't know who was more terrified myself or that little tiny dog and then the microphone proceeded to break and things really do fall apart so I- I've had some I've had some very shaky moments um, yeah but, but they made you stronger right afterwards. Uh, well, I mean, if you can survive a, a mic- broken microphone and a puppy on stage then then you can you can get through most things well it's not only surviving but it's being so pain adverse that you start putting (laughs) the work in prior to do everything in your power to avoid experiencing that same sort of helplessness and so it just motivates you in a really organic way to as you said be prepared so yeah you walk into an an interview with uh, a you know, formerly Governor Brown and about to be Governor. Oh, I guess he was Governor at that point. And why did it? Why did it go so poorly? Uh, he, I think he started the interview. He saw that I had studied communications, and uh, and I now know that uh, that he is he he does not exactly hold that in the same esteem he holds uh, those who have studied the classics. Uh, and so he asked me, I think, what what my definition of communications was. And uh, I did not have an immediate answer or, or the answer, the answer I gave him, That's he found hilarious. totally, totally inadequate. Do you remember anything um, that you said about the words that were coming out of your mouth? No, I don't, not on the, <laughs> not on the definition of communication. He then proceeded, and this was the mistake of, of having the resume. He then proceeded to, to ask me why I had listed that I was on the short list for an award. You know how we, you know, back then, back in your earlier I career, know. you may have, tried to pad the resume a bit. And so he basically ripped me for uh, having listed that, that I, I was on, on a short list, but didn't actually, he said, so you didn't win the award. So why would you list that? Anyway, that, that's he's essentially how. Right. Um, he, he basically just yeah. called you a runner up. He's like, so yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, so you, you want to tell me about this participation ribbon that, that you, uh, <laughs> that you have hanging on yeah. your, your mother's wall somewhere? Yeah, totally. And so, so yeah, whatever confidence I had, uh, going in was, was pretty much deflated. Uh, he also proceeded to ask me like every professor I had had, if I had read certain books that he knew I hadn't, or had probably wow. assumed I hadn't. 
so it, it was rough. Um, thank God my interview was separate with the first lady who would be the, then become the first lady, his wife. And that one went really well. And so I think she convinced them to, to hire me. Did you ever, uh, in the many years after this, did you, start, you worked with him? Did you ever talk about that initial interview with him? Uh, no, no. And he probably wouldn't. I mean, it was, it was probably somewhat unremarkable. Uh, to, 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 it's his default position just to rip people to shreds. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty brutal. I mean, I've, it, what it gave me though was <clears throat> some, uh, recognition of uh, seeing other people struggle to have conversations with him, being able to, to say to him, Hey, you're forgetting you're the governor. Like you're a pretty intimidating guy. Uh, and people don't always have all the answers. And so, and I don't think he was used to hearing that. Um, cause I, I, I don't, I don't think when you have these interactions, you're always aware of, you know, if you're speaking to CK, you're speaking to, to a novice and that wants to get into your industry, they're going to be, they're going to be intimidated by, by what you've done and you've built, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily aware of in every interaction, the intimidation they're feeling or, or how your accomplishments can intimidate them or affect the, the tone and tenor of a conversation. So anyway, I, I think there are definitely good things that come out of these somewhat traumatic <laughs> experiences. Well, I'm sure. It, it, it just yeah. makes you more prepared for future traumatic experiences. And <laughs> for sure. But able it, to negotiate yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. And, and also to, to not be, I think for me, it, 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 what I vividly remember uh, was going outside uh, after this interview and and writing furious notes about what I, all of the things I, I had just learned and experienced. And so I was able to write that down and at least have some reflection. I figured, you know, if anything's going to come out of this, uh, I want to be able to look back at look back at that. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to then. Were you buy... surprised when they offered you the job? I mean, you must have walked out of that interview just thinking, I might never work in government again. Yeah. I, I mean, I was deflated because uh, at this point I had, I had put in a lot of time and energy uh, in all of the interviews leading up to this. So I think it's also a lesson in, in the pressure we put on ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd probably stayed up really late to your earlier question, trying to learn everything possible about Jerry Brown. Of course, none of those questions you prepare <laughs> for come up. <laughs> so, what, how do you, personally defying communication god yeah i mean that, that's a it's a good question right it, i mean it, i should have flipped actually flipped, i should yeah now i would flip it on him uh probably and, and buy myself a little time to think at least <laughs> but um you know again these are these are things we learn fortunately i was able to to make enough of an impression where you know four years later uh he he offered offered me the the top job in the in the governor's office so, so uh, for as a communication cool. job it, so what so you, you end up uh surviving that initial interview you get offered yeah. the job um yeah. and what you know i mean this is now your third separate time working in the capital and yeah how how was it from that day one, which was, you know, your third time around, uh, yeah. you know, compared to your last and, and how did it prepare you? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. At this point, he wasn't running for governor. He was still attorney general. 
Um, and so oh, I, I, I felt like realize I, that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I would, you know, this wasn't, it wasn't guaranteed in any way, shape or form that I would be doing anything other than serving, uh, the attorney general of California. There was some mystery. Yeah. There was some, some, some chatter that he might run, but at this point he wasn't. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, from, from there really just focused on, on learning and doing the job. But when, and I shifted over to the campaign, of course, to, there were two of us on a statewide gubernatorial campaign on the communication side, which is pretty unprecedented, probably will never happen again. Uh, Jerry Brown has a, a very lean operation. I mentioned Schwarzenegger having 20, 25 people in his communication shop. By the time I got back, it was uh, more like six. I think at our peak, we had about 10. Is that across um, so doing... the board in all departments, or does does he have per, perhaps a uh, lack of um, admiration for communications <laughs> as a political field? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mix of the two. I think he's always run lean operations. He figures if he hires the right people, they're worth uh, they're worth three or four. Um, so I think there's some of that. But then also on the on the press side, uh, he he doesn't feel like he needs to be managed uh, uh, in the same way that another uh, more novice politician would. But I think he, he learned, he learned that the office looked a lot different when he came back in, just as I learned that it looked a lot different when I came in under the Brown administration. Uh, but yeah, those first two years were tough. Uh, we, we had a $27 billion budget deficit in California. You may Goodness. remember this was a time when, <laughs> oh, boy. yeah, when this is a time when, when most of the articles were sort of parodying California's, uh, California going bankrupt or falling off the cliff and, um, and there being no, no solution. Uh, so anyway, th- those couple years, first couple years were tough. Um, and I think they took a toll on, on the, uh, the individual that preceded me in the, in the press secretary job. So, uh, but then, yeah, by, by early 2013, uh, I, I felt like I, I knew the job I, I had, I was young relatively. So I, I was appointed at, at 31. Um, and so I was, I was young, but I had, I had seen how the job, uh, could be done across multiple administrations. I knew the sort of office I wanted to to build. Uh, and I felt confident enough to go to the chief of staff at that point and say, uh, I know you're looking at lots of different people um, for this position, but, but this is why I'm most qualified and this is why uh, you should give me the job. And I was absolutely terrified. I think as we all are, when we make that next step, I don't know how you felt when you started your own thing, but uh, it's it's definitely you you i was too dumb to be you, terrified I, i've always been too dumb <laughs> to be terrified <laughs> so that's that's also that's a that's a unique quality that can also uh lead to great success uh and or great failure but as long as you learn you're you're it has helped me good shape um and you know when i first reached out to you um i asked for an hour of your time and i'm enjoying this conversation so yeah. very much um and if possible, uh, I'd like to um, make this part one 
and yeah. uh, basically start part two when you have some time uh, either later this week or next. Uh, for sure. The night that um, that you know you're running the comms team for the gubernatorial uh, campaign. And I, I just want to I just want to kick off the night that you guys win because like I think like I said this conversation has been a. <laughs> It shows what a dork I am, but it's been a real page turner for me. Um, and I just think there's, from from my side, there's so much stuff that I'm uh, intensely curious about from the night you guys won to where we are now. Um, and yeah, well, well, for sure. And and this speaks to my need uh, to be a little less loquacious. No, and no, a no, 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 more no, 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 no. In getting getting the word covering the ground. No, please, uh, but, Evan. The one thing I have to emphasize, I say this on a daily basis. I consume information in New Yorker length chunks, and so <laughs> I much prefer twenty five thousand words to twenty five hundred words. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we're going back to like mid nineties, New Yorker with those multi-part <laughs> stories. Um, nice. But, uh, nice. well, yeah, ha- happy, happy to do it. CK. And, this has been uh, so but- good. I got, I'm going to send this to my parents tonight and I, and I'm going to send it to a bunch of the people that we went to high school with. And I think that a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, our mutual friends and acquaintances are going to get a kick out of, um, hearing part one of, uh, the post college Evan Westrup story. Well, it's, it's been fun CK and you're, uh, you, you're a very generous, uh, generous with your time as well. Um, and I want to acknowledge that how prolific you've been, uh, in, in podcasting. <laughs> uh, and I think it's, it's pretty incredible. It speaks to, to your adaptability, um, and Thank also you. your ener- energy, uh, to do what, what are we like almost to 70 interviews? Uh, this is uh, number 69. Um, so I had, yeah, two, that's, that's incredible. I, I started today with 60, uh, 66. Um, and no, I'm so sorry. This is number 70. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Cause it, cause I did 68 and 69 today. Um, and yeah. so, uh, but well, pre- pretty I'm phenomenal. It. It's, it's, it's like candy for me. Like this entire conversation is just like I'm gonna walk out of the closet and Amanda's gonna look at me and she's like, "Why are you in such a good mood? You've just been in a closet for the last hour." I'm like, "You have no idea the gold that an old friend of mine uh, was pooling into my ear." Well, I think you've you've figured something out. I mean, you're you're building your skill set. Uh, you're getting to reconnect with with friends and yes. family, and then also build build a network and talk to people that you otherwise wouldn't. Uh, it's amazing. Talk to. It's so true. Uh, and that the the knowledge to your to 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 what you've just said the the knowledge the curiosity uh, the the impact that has uh, is pretty cool and and it energizes. So anyway, you've you've uh, hat off to you, CK, Thanks, buddy. Uh, and it, it's good to reconnect. I hope I get a chance, even if it's not recorded, to properly uh, hear about your life because that's also pretty damn interesting well that that will definitely come uh we are going to have a future that is uh uh, full of opportunities whether remotely or hopefully back in person um but uh hey uh 
good luck getting some some time on that walking desk. And um, <laughs> I, I really look forward to resuming this conversation um, in the coming days. To be continued. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Thanks, Bye. my friend. See ya. Bye.